Ellen, did you buy that fish on Etsy? Yes. <laughs> I'm surrounded by it. That's, I fly fish. Josh, I fly fish, so I get a lot of fish-related gifts, and so does my husband. We, our house is filled with tributes to trout, all from Etsy. I really, in preparing for this conversation today, I had to stop myself from surrounding my background with things we got from Etsy. Our family loves it. Today on Leadership Next, the CEO of a company that Ellen McGirt may or may not be supporting single-handedly, Josh Silverman of Etsy. Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who like me are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray here with my amazing co-host, <laughs> Ellen McGirt, who loves all things Etsy. <laughs> I do. I do. We have already established two important things about today's episode. We're talking to the CEO of Etsy, Josh Silverman. And yes, it's true. I shop on Etsy all the time. I love supporting makers. I love supporting artists. And I just love having original things in my house that help me express how I feel about the people I love. So sue me. <laughs> and, and, well, and on that point, Ellen, because uh, this is a podcast and people can't see you, they can only listen right. to you. Would you describe that giant fish pillow that's <laughs> sitting right behind you on this Zoom call. <laughs> it's a four-foot satin rainbow trout, I'll have you know. It's a truly beautiful fish, which joins my collection of fish things because we fly fish. I've got a stained glass window with a river scene and a brown <laughs> trout in my living room, framed prints all over the place, coasters, doormats, <laughs> wall plaques, all of it. And beyond all the fish-related products that you can buy on Etsy, the company has had an amazing year. I mean, really found its authentic purpose in meeting people's needs during the pandemic. It really did for makers and consumers. And that's where we kick things off with Josh. You've had an amazing year during a terrible, terrible time. So can we just start with the big numbers? Yeah, Etsy more than doubled in 2020. Uh, so, you know, more than $10 billion of gross merchandise sales, meaning sales between a seller and a buyer on Etsy in 2020. And so I, I think that this was a time when opportunity met preparedness. This was sort of our Dunkirk moment, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we had a time when Americans desperately needed all kinds of things, and the supply chains of the big mass retailers couldn't keep up. And so cottage industry came to the rescue through Etsy. And, you know, as a result, 4.4 million sellers actually had a, you know, pretty decent year on Etsy last year. Two thirds of our sellers said that they made as much or more in 2020 in sales as they'd made in prior years. And for a lot of our sellers, you know, whose offline income was really hard hit, you know, Etsy really provided a meaningful lifeline. And at the same time, for millions of buyers who I think are tired of buying commoditized goods, of getting mm -hmm. the same thing as everyone else that arrives cheap and fast and is in a landfill two minutes later, you know, I think yeah. they discovered that you can keep commerce human. You can support another seller. You can have something that's made just for you that comes with a handwritten note. And it's just a better way to shop. So it was definitely a transformational year for Etsy, and, and we feel really great about that. 
And it's not just masks. I know we got our first round of masks, handmade masks from Etsy. And that that's it's such a big number that it's broken out in all of the Wall Street analysis, <laughs> which I yeah. find to be amazing. Um, what else was some of your big category wins this year? Yeah. So first on masks, you know, masks w- was basically not a thing until April 2nd of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone was searching for a mask, they were looking for a Halloween mask or face cream. All of a sudden, on April 2nd, this new thing was invented called a a fabric face mask. And between April 2nd and the end of the year, there was about $740 million of masks sold on Etsy. And that provided a lot of income for our sellers. It allowed buyers to get a mask that expressed their sense of taste and style. And it kept PPE, proper medical equipment, reserved for the people who need it most, first responders and and hospital staff and and others. And and again, that's the kind of thing that wouldn't have been possible. Within two or three days, we had over 10,000 sellers making and selling masks on Etsy. You can't imagine a traditional retailer calling up their supplier in China, (laughs) getting the wheels going. And so, you know, masks was, I think, an example of the power of Etsy. But to your point, you know, overall, Etsy sold well over $10 billion of goods or Etsy sellers sold well over $10 billion of goods. So, uh, you know, the vast majority of things that, that were bought on Etsy were not masks. Our biggest category was home furnishings last year. So things like, um, you know, throw pillows and, and home decor and tables and that, chairs. Our listeners can't see this, but that fish behind <laughs> Ellen <laughs> may be an example of home goods purchased <laughs> from Etsy. <laughs> Hand-dyed fabric. It's beautiful. Thank you. It, Thank it's you. a gorgeous fish, Ellen. I really wish we were. Now I wish it's a we rainbow were. rainbow trout, Ellen. It's a rainbow I wish trout. we were video, not podcast. But uh, hey, hey, Josh, I, I have to ask you because the numbers are so extraordinary. I mean, we all know that e-commerce boomed during the pandemic, but this is well beyond what most e-commerce outlets did. And and I just want to dig a little deeper in what was driving that. What was it in the pandemic that made people want to go? I mean, was it a desire for authenticity? It's like, I don't want to do Amazon. I want to do Etsy. What's the emotional impulse that drives that? Well, first, I would say that the agility of Etsy sellers in the Etsy marketplace is extraordinary. So as fast as someone needs something or someone can imagine something to be made, it appears on Etsy. I'll give you an example. In May, the world woke up and decided it wanted to make bread. I don't know why. Everyone decided they wanted to be bread makers. And within hours, you had thousands of sellers selling yeast-making mixes and bread-making mixes on Etsy. And Jean the Baker has a wonderful bakery in Florida, and he's been running that for many years very successfully. And with the pandemic, that bakery shut down. And as a result, he went on Google and said, where can I sell things online? (laughs) And he found Etsy that way, and he started selling things online. And where he had a successful bakery in Florida serving the people within a few block walk of his bakery who happened to Mm -hmm. walk in, all of a sudden he starts a thriving business on Etsy that becomes very successful, but he's selling to people who have a real passion for bread making. And they're trading recipes and they want to know about his yeast culture that he's worked on for years and years. And it's about a community. And suddenly he's finding a community of people who share his passion. And not only is it a successful business, but it's a successful relationship for buyers and for sellers. And so that kind of agility where as soon as things 
All of a sudden, people need masks. All of a sudden, they need bread-making gear. All of a sudden, everyone needed a home office. You know, home office furniture on Etsy just you know, exploded in, in sales. Right. And, you know, you can go on to other places, but they have backlogs and supply chain issues. And by the way, I would like the desk to be made for my office. You know, this part of my house wasn't designed to be an office and all of a sudden it needs to be. I need something that fits the space. So I think there was a lot of need that was driving it in the beginning. But what I think people are finding is they came to Etsy maybe because they needed something they couldn't find anywhere else. And then they discovered that it's human that they actually talk to the maker, that that maker can say, oh, you like this shirt, but you want it in short sleeve instead of long sleeve. I can do that for you. You'd rather have it in this color instead of that color. I can do that for you. Mm. They want to send a gift to a loved one. Gifts were searched two times a second in 2020. So let me ask you, Josh, changing the subject a little bit. There's a lot of trash talk these days about the gig economy. Right. Yep. You know, oh, these people don't get benefits. The platform is taking all the profit. Etsy's part of the gig economy, obviously. What makes Etsy different if it is different from an Uber or a, even an Airbnb? Look, every platform is different. I'll just speak to Etsy. On Etsy, there's no commoditization of work or labor. Someone wakes up in the morning and has a passion to make something. They're a craftsperson, they're an artist, and they have many places to choose where they can sell. Etsy is one of them. And they decide what they want to make. They decide how they want to make it. They decide how they want to price it. They decide how they want to promote it and photograph it and brand it. And they build the relationships with their customers. We're a marketplace. We're a platform for them to do that. And we're really proud of the fact that they hire us. We don't hire them. <laughs> they hire us to help market their products. And we do the best we can to create a community that lifts all of them up and helps them to compete on a more level playing field against the Amazons of the world. And what's your take? It costs 20 cents to list an item on Etsy and then a 5% commission. And right, then they right. can choose to invest. This is this is not the Apple store. No, <laughs> uh, no, that's right. I mean, we, we keep our, our fees low. And then, you know, they can choose to opt into optional services. You know, if they want to market and promote their product even more prominently, they can choose to do that. But, you know, our, our job is really to create a brand for an individual seller who's out trying to sell something online today. They are a blade of grass in a tornado. It's just really hard to get noticed. And it's hard to get someone to trust you. You know, if you're selling a can of Coca-Cola, I don't really care about the vendor because I know what's in the can of Coke. But when you're selling, you know, a throw pillow or a wedding dress and I've never met you, Etsy's brand lifts up the sellers. And so that, that's what we offer. And in doing that, we think we offer something really unique to our sellers. That's why they hire us. Well, you know, Josh, you you touched on this, but I think it's a really important piece. And I want to talk about how, how you bake purpose into how the company operates, because I think that's also important too. But people were searching for gifts at, a, at an, an amazing rate. They actually found them. They had an immediately positive experience that linked them to something they were actually looking for, which is really hard to do. And that happened on your watch. Can you talk a little bit about some of the practical stuff that you were able to do right away that made sure people could get the good stuff that they wanted on Etsy, which includes the brand promise? Yeah, we've been working very hard on, on search and discovery, and it's a very unique challenge at Etsy. So right now, there's over 80 million things for sale on Etsy. And the only thing they have in common is that they don't have anything in common. They don't map to a catalog. 
So if you think about every other retailer, they have a lot of things for sale and they map each of those to a structured catalog with structured data. They all have SKU numbers. Nothing on Etsy has a SKU number. So let me give you an example. There are 200,000 coasters for sale on Etsy. Now, I'm not saying coasters <laughs> are the most popular product. I just picked that one at random, but there's 200,000 <laughs> coasters. So I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the largest football stadium in the United States. If you sat in the middle of the Michigan football stadium and looked around, there would be two coasters on every single seat. <laughs> That's how many coasters there are for sale on Etsy. It's a mind-boggling number. And yet our team has to pick 30 of those to put on the first page of search results. Yeah. So how do we decide, A, yeah. that it is a coaster, and B, which are the 30 that should go? That challenge would have been insurmountable even 10 years ago. But with machine learning now, we can actually make sense of that chaos and do a really, I think, good job of getting the right thing to the right person at the right time. Now we're starting to push the frontier of really understanding what you meant, not what you said. So for example, if you ask for cocktail attire, mm -hmm. we will show a blazer, even though the word blaze, the cocktail and attire don't sh show up in the title. So understanding intent, not just words, is something we're, we're able to do now that we weren't before. Understanding taste and style. What is boho? And how does that look? How do you distinguish that from mid-century modern in, in home furnishing? How can a computer understand that from a photo? Right. These are the, the new fields where we're investing a lot and where I think we're going to be very different than the kinds of challenge. We don't need to be better at search than Google, and we don't need to be better at product search even than Amazon. We just need to be better at our corner of the universe, which is this vast, unstructured, long tail of commerce. That's where we've got to be the very best in the world. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us and thanks for your support of our second season. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, one of the surprises we saw in 2020 in the midst of a lot of bad news was some good news, an acceleration in the adoption of digital technology. Do you think that's going to continue once the pandemic goes away? I do, Alan, and I would say that the cause for optimism is warranted. There are going to be some pretty significant dividends that come from the massive acceleration in all things digital. And as we move into a post-pandemic world, we're going to see significant benefits to the economy from the big digital transformation investments that companies are making. I think we're going to see big benefits to people in terms of quality of life as we see new models for working that allow greater flexibility, greater productivity. So on the whole, I'm pretty optimistic that there's a path out of this and that as we emerge, that there will be some bright spots, albeit coming from a pretty dark moment in time. So people were forced to innovate in 2020 because an extreme change of circumstances was forced upon them. But can they keep up that pace of innovation? Well, that's the challenge for all of us as leaders. I saw a great quote in one of your interviews recently, Alan, that in this period of time, change was free because the alternative to change was even worse. 
We all have to look back on the way in which we moved so quickly, we broke some glass, we didn't let corporate bureaucracy get in the way, and it actually benefited all of us significantly and leveraged that mindset going forward to act more quickly, to be less inhibited by risk, and to see the true benefit of embedding digital transformation and an agile mindset within the way that our organizations operate on a go-forward basis. Joe, thank you. I want to talk about your impact work because I think it's unusual and I think it's important. You set some pretty big goals in your economic and ecological and social areas and and you publish your progress and you've been doing it for a while now. Could you talk a little bit about how you set those goals and what you're measuring and what you're discovering as you're doing all this? Yeah. I mean, first, you know, I joined the company four years ago and I think we've made a tremendous amount of progress in those four years. And if I had to boil down why we've made so much progress, I think it comes down to two words, focus and accountability. We've picked a few things that we thought were important. For those few things, we have published a goal for the whole world to hold us accountable. And then we've driven like crazy to achieve those few things. And overall, I think for me and for the whole company, if there's one thing we want to demonstrate to the world, it's that being a good citizen makes us an even better business. I think there's this narrative out there that somehow you've got to pick. You're either a good business or a good citizen, and one comes at the expense of the other. And we don't believe that. We've never believed that. And when I say never, like for the 15 years that Etsy's existed long before I got there, we have always believed as a business that those two things are self-reinforcing. And I think 2020 helped a lot of the world wake up to the fact that that is true. You know, at a time when there's a lot of problems out there and, and people don't have a lot of confidence in our political system to help solve those problems, if business can't be an important part of the solution, then where are we? Yeah. Yeah. And what are the problems, Josh? What are the couple of things you have picked. Yeah, there's endless problems in the world. So the first thing there we are. said is there's endless problems in the world. We <laughs> cannot solve all of them. If we try, we, we, we will dissipate our energy and it will be hopeless. So let's, we're just going to pick three. Economic empowerment, diversity, and environmental sustainability. Those are our three. Let's start with economic empowerment. That's our day job. It's actually the engine of Etsy. We give people the opportunity to turn their creative passion into economic empowerment. And in a world where automation is changing the nature of work, I don't think that immigration is what's causing the problems right now for America's working class. I don't think it's global trade. If you look, we're actually manufacturing more product in America than we ever have. But automation is changing the nature of work and you need fewer humans to manufacture things. Creativity can't be automated. And so we think the opportunity to allow someone from their living room to take their creative energy and sell to the whole world for 20 cents is more timely and relevant than ever. How do we measure that? We look at the economic output in the countries that we serve. And we've set some goals. But for example, Etsy sellers in the United States created the GDP of the city of Houston last year. Mm. That's how many jobs they created and what we're measuring, how much they sold and the raw materials, the inputs as well. So how much did they have to buy in order to make those sales? So that's the first. Diversity and inclusion, very important to us. We think we are a much more successful business because we have a more diverse group of people sitting around the table. 
We are in the business of making decisions. That's what we do for a living. We at Etsy, the people who actually work for Etsy, don't make anything other than ideas. And we have better ideas and we come to better decisions when there is creative tension, when there are people in the room who come from different experiences, who come from different backgrounds, who come together to very constructively debate issues, come to decisions, and then move forward. We also serve a broader set of stakeholders when we have empathy for them, when we have people inside the company with firsthand experience there. And so, you know, if you look top to bottom at the company, we are unusually diverse. And uh, so, for example, 50% of our board are female. More than half of the leadership of my direct reports are female. 49% of the company are female. Over 30% of our engineering team is non-male. And, you know, if you look at sort of best of breed and technology companies, uh, you know, 15% is actually better than average. And it particularly makes sense because 81% of our sellers are non-male and, and 81% of our buyers are non-male. So the fact that we are, are disproportionately gender diverse is really important. We've also set some big goals around underrepresented minorities. By that, we mean Black and Hispanic, where we were at the industry average and we feel like we could do a lot better and we would be a lot better if we were doing better there. So we set a goal in 2018 to double the percentage of our employee population who are underrepresented minorities. And we've been making great progress there. In 2020, for example, 20% of our new hires uh, were underrepresented minorities, and we more than doubled the percentage of our leadership level that right. are underrepresented. Yeah. And, and how about sustainability? And on environmental sustainability, we set a goal in 2018 to be entirely carbon neutral by 2022, and we got there two years ahead of schedule. So last year, we were 100% carbon neutral. And what I mean by that is the offices are powered by renewable energy. All of our servers are powered by renewable energy. We actually achieved that goal in 2019. But when we looked more broadly at our ecosystem, it turns out that shipping is the biggest part of our environmental footprint. And while we don't control shipping, we don't run fulfillment centers, we don't have warehouses, the seller ships directly from her house to the buyer's house, it doesn't absolve us of responsibility. So we offset the carbon, we take out of the air the carbon uh, that is put into the air through shipping, and we do that through a set of investments we make in sustainable forestry in Minnesota, for example, in renewable energy generation in South Asia, and through some auto part substitutions in the auto parts industry that we subsidize. We've set an even bolder goal just a few months ago, which is to be net zero by 2030. Right. And we think that the science-based target initiative is is really important. And uh, that's about a decade ahead of, of most of our peers. And, and, and do you get more buyers because of that? Do you get more sellers because of that? Do you get a more motivated workforce because of that? What does that give the company? Yeah. So first, everything I'm saying is is actually audited. PwC comes and audits these numbers with the same degree of diligence that they audit our financials. And we publish it in one integrated report. So this idea that the world can hold us accountable, I think, is very important. And you don't have to take my word for it. Go look it up yourself. I think, first, if, if we look at, for example, shipping, when we offset the cost of shipping, it turns out to only cost us a penny a package. So we put some messaging in checkout saying, by the way, your purchase does not contribute to global warming. 
And that small message in 10-point font in checkout raised conversion rate enough to fund the whole initiative. Wow. wow. Now, I'm not saying it doubled conversion rate, and it didn't need to double conversion rate. Right. It raised yeah. conversion rate by 20 basis points. Yeah. So if if 20 in 1,000 people care enough about the environment for that to make a difference in their purchase behavior, that's enough to fund the initiative. Yeah, right. It great. doesn't need to be everyone. But to your broader question, what are the benefits? First, I think that for economic empowerment, it's our day job. And for diversity and inclusion, it makes us a better business. And I authentically believe that. Everyone in the company authentically believes that. If you don't believe that, if you're going through the motions, you probably shouldn't work for Etsy. You're going to have a hard time getting through the day at Etsy. You know, if I, if I had to list the business benefits, the first and most important one is that we are in a war for talent. Again, we don't make things. We don't make widgets. We need to just have better, more productive employees than the next person. And there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of choices for where they could work. And they would rather work for a company that has a positive impact on the world. I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things I could do with my time. I don't want to go work for some company that, yeah. you know, like makes it that doesn't matter in the world. That if that company went away, you know, who cares? I don't want to spend my most productive years away from my family doing that. You know, of course, we, we want to get paid and, and fairly for our work and all of those things. But, but life's about a lot more than that. And I think 2020 really demonstrated that even more. 2020 was a very hard year for so many people. And even, you know, at Etsy, where obviously the business was going very well, it doesn't mean that my employees were you know, rainbows and unicorns every day. I mean, it was incredibly stressful, incredibly stressful for our team. And yet our team was more productive in 2020 in spite of all the challenges than they've been in any prior year. And I know for me, I felt a deep amount of gratitude that for so many people, they're stuck at home wishing there was some way they could help. And I feel like at Etsy, showing up for work was being okay. part of the solution. And so I, I think the employee benefits matter more than anything else. It is also nice if consumers understand. I think people want to put their money where their heart is. Beautiful. What's next now that we're slowly leaving our basements, Etsy decorated basements? <laughs> I'm excited for us to be able to be together, but it's going to be, first, we're going to take it slow. And we're not going back to the past. We're going to move forward to some new future. Personally, you know, I, I think it would be nice uh, by September if we could start to reopen our offices in at least some limited capacity and be back. I miss my colleagues. I think we all miss each other. And I think we've done well in the pandemic because we have a lot of stored social capital. We've been together and we've been able to innovate in the same room. And we had enough of a pipeline of that to work through. I don't think that goes infinite. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Josh Silverman, really great conversation here on Leadership Next. Thank you so much for that. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media.
Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. I, I, I actually <laughs> love horses. That's my passion. So I also oh. love to be outdoors. Wow. Okay. Well, now I know what to get you for your birthday on Etsy. <laughs>